This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Mallory, and this is my Swing Trading the Stock Market podcast. I'm here to teach you how to trade in a complex, ever-changing world of finance. Learn what it means to trade profitably and consistently, managing risk, avoiding the pitfalls of trading, and most importantly, to let those winners run wild. You can succeed at the stock market, and I'm ready to show you how. Hey, everybody. This is Ryan Mallory with Swing Trading the Stock Market, and we got a lot of craziness going on these days with Dogecoin, don't we? We're going to talk about that. Should you be buying it? Should you buy Dogecoin at the current prices? Should you wait for a pullback or should you just avoid it altogether? We're going to get into that and more. But for a little bit of a background on Dogecoin, this was something that was started as a joke. You know, you had all of these altcoins coming out. You know, they were trying to battle for supremacy with Bitcoin. They were coming out. They were saying this is going to be the next zillion dollar Bitcoin. Okay, this is the next thing. So you had all these things coming out at the time. They're all trying to go mainstream. And these two guys, Jackson Palmer and Bill Marcus, come out with Dogecoin. And what they did with that is they were essentially just setting it up to kind of make fun of all these other existing altcoins trying hard to become relevant. And at that time, they chose this dog that was the face of a very popular meme, and they made that the face of their coin. Not thinking anything would ever come of it, all of a sudden this thing has now become a multi-billion dollar coin, some estimating as high as $55 billion. And so you got everybody piling into this thing. They're all excited. They're saying, hey, it's at 30 cents right now. It's going all the way up to a dollar. When will it get to a dollar? And the thing is about Dogecoin, it may see it. I'd be shocked if it does. I mean, but who knows when you get these phenomenons, how high they can go. But it's, in the grand scheme of things, it's a, it's a pump and dump. There's people that are looking to hold it for over a year because they don't want to pay long-term taxes. That would be the least of my worries, honestly. And this isn't any financial advice, but there's no way I would hold that thing for a year. You're setting up for an incredible, incredible letdown if you do that because there is a lot that can go wrong in a year. This thing harkens back to the days of the tulip mania in the 1600s. Now, obviously, I wasn't around for that. Neither were you. But the price of tulips went up to hundreds of dollars per tulip. Guys, this is something that dies in a few days. And people were buying these things up. And I'll be honest, I think the Dogecoin phenomenon is more stupid than buying tulips at 100 plus dollars. But why is it so appealing to so many people? Well, because it's trading at pennies. People are saying, I can buy so much more. I look at Bitcoin, it's at $64,000. I can't buy a whole Bitcoin. But they see Dogecoin and they said, oh, I can buy a lot of Dogecoin. And what if it happens to become as valuable as a Bitcoin. And they start thinking, well, I'd be worth billions of dollars. And a lot of people are doing this thinking that they're going to get rich. And I always tell people, don't start trading stocks, even though that's the reason why we all get into stocks. Don't make that your primary focus, trying to get rich, because you're going to be sorely disappointed when you become incredibly poor. Because you start taking on these incredible risks. And Dogecoin is one of the riskiest out there right now. It doesn't matter if it's trading at 30 cents. If you put $10,000 in Dogecoin at 30 cents or Five thousand dollars per Dogecoin. It's still the same risk if that volatility is there, and that volatility is ridiculous. You're going to experience swings of 30, 40, 50 percent. 
I mean, just the previous day, it went up 200%. And when the crowd is piling into everything, they're wrong. When the crowd is doing something in the stock market, they're the ones that ultimately get burnt. The masses don't win in the stock market. I know everybody's saying this is going to the moon. We're taking back Wall Street. It's time for the little guy to win. And I hope you do. But in the reality of it, I know that you won't because the masses always lose. Because when the masses become too piled into something, the market will correct itself. And we're getting to that point here very fast. The market's about ready to correct itself on this Dogecoin and cryptocurrency phenomenon. I think a lot of, too, it has, has to do with the fact that the stock market has been trading a lot more sideways of late rather than having these smoking hot gains off of the March lows that we saw last year. Instead, we're getting a lot of two up, one down, two up, one down, kind of like a two steps forward, one step back kind of a thing where people are just not making the kind of money in the stock market that they were before. So what did they do? They're trying to go where the volatility is. They see the crowd moving to Dogecoin. That's where they're going into. They don't even know what Dogecoin does. You can't even use it anywhere. But their hopes is, oh, it's going to, it's going to go mainstream. It already is mainstream, and there's really not any applications for it. And let's be honest, too. A lot of the the hype behind it is because of Elon Musk. Elon Musk keeps tweeting about it. He thinks it's hilarious. The guy doesn't care if it goes up or down. But for you guys that are investing money that, for some of you, probably can't afford to lose, you do care. And when this thing does come tumbling down, it's going to cost you a lot of money. Because you've got to manage the risk. It doesn't matter if you're in stocks, if you're in crypto, if you're in Dogecoin. You've got to manage the risk. And these pumping ups, they're going to go way up, and then they're going to come down faster than you ever imagined. And you thought it was hard as Dogecoin was going up to be able to get into the stock. Wait until you try to get out of it. There's no doubt in my mind that the, the COVID has played a huge role in the success of the cryptocurrencies. People are at home. They're getting their $1,400 stimmy checks. They have multiple kids. They're getting multiple checks. And on top of that, if you're unemployed, you're getting an extra $300 a week. Guys, I mean, people are making a lot of money off of not working right now. And what do they do? They're putting it somewhere and they're going after the Dogecoin because they're just trying to make more money off of the free money they've already got. And I can't really go anywhere without hearing somebody talk about Dogecoin. It's going to a dollar. That's what they'll all say. But that's going to be one heck of a resistance to break through if it even gets close to that. And for y'all's sake, I hope it does. But the reality of it, it's going to struggle. So you're crazy if you're not taking profits along the way. Take some profits. Raise those stop losses. Have a line in the sand to say, okay, if it goes down to this level here, I'm out. The one thing that's for sure, whether you're trading anything, cryptos, bonds, stocks, anything. Prices will go up and prices will go down after you get out. You can't do nothing about that. But what you want to do is be able to get the lion's share of a move. And after you get out, if it continues to go up, then so be it. Okay, you had you had a good run out of it. Move on. But so many people right now, they're not going to get out. Why? Because they always think that they can get out at the top, which they can't. And they're worried about that people are going to keep making money after they get out. And they psychologically can't handle that. I have had so many trades that I've gone out and it just keeps on going up. And that's okay because I did my trade. I made the right moves. I executed and I moved my money to a new trade. But so many people can't handle that concept. This is it for them. This is the big thing. This is their whale of a moment. They got to hit it big. And when you do that, you're taking on incredible amounts of risk and you're going to lose incredibly in the long term. Remember, the masses don't succeed in the stock market. The masses will lose. And if you're part of the mass that's going into this Dogecoin, know that most of you guys will lose at this. So be different. Take some profits along the way. Know where you're going to get out if you're already in it. And if you're going to get in it, know where you're going to get out before you ever do. That's the way that you succeed in the stock market. Having a risk plan. Knowing how to manage the risk on all your trades. Now, for today's email, we have an awesome, awesome question. It's about sector rotations. And it comes from a guy we're going to call Mississippi Slim. 
I didn't give him that name. He gave it to himself. And he tells us that he's anything but slim. So what does Mississippi Slim have to say? He says, Ryan, love the podcast. I've started trading relatively recently and I'm learning a lot from your podcast. I love the idea of managing the risk and the profits will take care of themselves. My question is about sector rotation. When I first started trading, I was in the tech stocks because they were moving the most and they get the most hype. I did pretty well, but most of them have crashed since February. My stop losses kicked me out, so it's not like I've lost a lot of money or anything. I'm just having less luck trading recently, presumably because the market overall is more sideways trending at the moment. But my trades just haven't been playing out the way I anticipated. I have found lots of information about market sector rotating and cash moving to other sectors. I've done some digging and sort of understand the concept of sector rotations, but still don't really know how to tell where to look for the best trades. Sorry, long way of getting to the easy questions. First, what are the sectors and how do you look at sector rotations? How do you tell what sectors you should be trading in? Does it matter? Do you keep your funds diversified across many sectors and not worry about it? I love the content and keep up the good work, Mississippi Slim. And before I dig into the details of his email, what am I drinking today? It is Russell Reserve, single barrel, 55% alcohol, 110 proof. This stuff is good. Now, you remember in the last podcast, I did the Russell's Reserve 10-year. I gave it an 8.1. So this thing's up against some stiff competition from its own likes. And it's got a, it's got a very like sweet smell to it. it. You know, when you smell it, it's got a nice little honey-flavored smell to it. But then when you like drink it, it's got this like sweet toffee flavor. And it goes into like quick spice. Like it doesn't like linger on that, that, that toffee flavor at all. It goes straight spice and it's, and it's pretty intense, but it's not too much. Like you can handle it. And the finish, the finish is more like a licorice flavor. I don't like it as much, even though this is a more expensive bottle. I don't like it as much as the, the 10 year. I think the 10 year is better. It's, it's a cheaper price. This here, I would give it a seven, seven out of 10. So to dissect this guy's email, and there's a lot to dissect, and sometimes I like to go and dig into the parts of the email that's not really the questions, but they're more like comments that he makes that kind of goes into like the underlying feelings and thinking that this person might have. One of the first things he said is he talks about, uh, I did pretty well, but most of the stocks that I've been trading have crashed since February. Well, there's been a lot of pullbacks in the tech sector, and a lot of them are rebounding. you got tech trading back at all-time highs again. You don't have as much participation from the broader market in this current rally that we've seen over the last three or so weeks. But when he's talking about, you know, it's crashed since February, maybe he's just saying that without realizing that it's not really a crash. But I think it kind of gets to like a little bit of the underlying feeling that some of these movements that he's experiencing in the stocks, they're a little bit more crazier for him because he's probably trading a lot more volatility. And maybe he's trading with too tight of stops or too big of position sizes. So that's questions that he should be asking himself. Hey, does it feel like the market's crashing because the position sizes that I'm taking are too big? And if it drops 10%, it feels like a personal crash to me? Or is he trading like too big a stock? Maybe he's trading a lot of your like small caps and small caps have had a hard time of late. So are the small caps struggling? And then as a result, he has too big of a position in some of these small caps and small caps tend to have a lot more volatility to them. So that could be the case as well. So I just picked up on that. He said I had a sense, you know, talking about how I had crashed since February. I'm like, I don't think it's crashed, but I can see where it's been difficult because it's definitely not easy trading out there right now. And he talks about how the market's you know, sideways trending at the moment. It's it's kind of is, kind of isn't. I mean, overall, I would probably say it feels that way. But I mean, we're sitting at all-time highs and creating new ones on the S&P 500. What the S&P 500 is benefiting from is that 
each day, either the NASDAQ or the Russell are ripping higher, and that tends to pull up the S&P 500 regardless of what the other index is doing. And then, like I said, with less and less stocks participating in the rally, if you're not in the right stocks, you're not really benefiting from this market rally. But he's a good example in real time why you use stop losses. He's talking about how his trades are not working out for them as, as he had anticipated them to. You almost have to take no expectations at any of your trades. I always assume that I'm going to lose on every one of my trades, and sometimes it feels like I am losing on every one of my trades. But nonetheless, that's, that's my mentality that I go into. If I, I'm right, I'm lucky. That's, that's how I won. I, I don't get overly emotional, and I don't try to evoke any feelings towards those stocks or the positions that I hold. But he asks me, what are the sectors? So, so, so there's 11 sectors that I follow, okay? They're, they're materials, energy, financials, industrials, technology, real estate, discretionary, healthcare, utilities, staples, and telecommunications. Now, yes, I had to write those down because if I try to do it from memory, I will forget at least one of them, and then I'll be doing this on air, and I'm thinking, what was that one that I forgot? I can't figure it out. But I actually also track all of them each and every day. I'm always looking to see which sectors are leading, which ones are not leading. I also want to know like how many of the 11 sectors are trading higher versus trading lower. So if the market's trading super high on the day, and then all of a sudden only like three out of 11 sectors are trading higher with it, that's going to give me a good idea that eh, this market may fall apart here because there's nothing really participating in this market rally except for a few big names. You get that a lot when it's just like financials and energy, or if it's just technology, you can see those kinds of days where just like two or three sectors are rallying the market higher. And you can use ETFs. Now, the ETFs aren't going to include every stock. They're going to include like the main names in that sector, but they're not going to include all of them. I use on TC2000. They have a separate watch list that includes every stock for every sector. It's all categorized. So when I'm looking at financials, I'm looking at the entire financial uh, sector and how many and all the stocks that are in it. If you go with XLF, you might be only looking at like 20 or 30 stocks that are included in the ETF. And so, yeah, it's going to include Bank of America, Citigroup, MasterCard, and stuff like that, but it's not going to include every financial stock. So sometimes the ETF might be doing better than the actual sector itself, but it still will give you a pretty good reading on the overall sector. So, you know, that you got the Spiders ETFs and you have uh, a lot of those. I, for instance, financials, I use XLF. Materials, I'll use XLB. I don't want to get into all of those for this particular podcast because I just don't want to be rattling off a bunch of symbols. And so that's how I look at rotations too. I'm always looking at the technical analysis of, of the sectors, just like I would if I'm looking at an individual stock. It's very easy to see what's, what has money flowing out of a sector. If it's starting to trade sideways and you're starting to see heavy volume where you're actually seeing a true legit sell-off, then that's going to tell you right there, hey, market might be rotating out of that sector. And then you want to say, okay, what, what sectors are attracting the new buyers? And then you start looking at the charts for that. Which ones have positive charts you know, with strong upward momentum? And you can start seeing that. Sometimes you'll see like a base forming in a particular sector and they break out of that base. And then, okay, you can see where it's not consolidating anymore. Money's flowing in. And oftentimes it'll be at the detriment of another sector. And then it also too, is just knowing, okay, I, I like to find out what are the top three sectors every day. And that's what I usually pay the most attention to. Also the bottom three sectors. And then when you're, when you're looking at those each and every day, you'll start to develop trends and start noticing, hey, you know what? I'm, technology is like at the top of the sectors every day, or it might be utilities. And sometimes you'll start to know the sectors that rally with each other, like tech and discretionary tend to rally with each other quite a bit. But you don't notice like all the other se sectors selling off and tech and utilities are rallying together. I've actually seen that this past week, but you don't see that often. And finally, he's asking too, he says, 
do you just keep your funds diversified across many sectors and not worry about it? No, I, I don't want to be in bad sectors. A lot of times there will be certain sectors that just aren't doing anything. Why would I want to be in those? And so there's this popular concept of being all diversified and across all the sectors. I think you should be diversified in the good sectors. And so I try to shy away from the bad sectors. Like uh, in the month of March, there was a lot of struggle in the tech stocks. I stayed away from those for the most part and focused on other ones like McDonald's and, and, and some of the financials. But I didn't want anything to do with the tech stocks. Now tech stocks are showing a little bit more momentum, so I'm trying to get more into those right now. And so you want to be diversified in the good sectors, but stay away from the bad sectors. Be not at all in those bad sectors. You don't need any of that action. And in reality, all that's going to do is just take take away from your good trades. Be sure to check out SwingTradingTheStockMarket.com. This is one of my favorite things about my channel, and that is the fact that I provide all of my market research to you guys. All you got to do is go there, sign up, and you're going to get access to all of my information that I provide each and every day. People are getting multiple updates each week on the stock market on different timeframes. That includes the S&P 500, the Russell 2000, and the NASDAQ 100. And I'm not outsourcing this. This is stuff that I'm doing right on my own computer, and I'm posting it for you guys right there. I'm also providing you guys with my bank stock updates, plus Microsoft, plus Tesla. And you're also going to get Multiple updates each week on my overall watch list for both bullish and bearish stocks, the ones that I think I'm bullish on and the ones that I think that are bearish. And I'm going to tell you a list of daily trade setups each and every day to be watching, as well as the most interesting charts of the day. So check that out below and make sure that you're giving me a five-star review, man. That's like the lifeblood of this podcast. It really helps me out. It helps me with the trolls too that, that try to say differently, but I had to take a lot of pride in this and I love providing you guys with great information each and every week. And make sure to subscribe on the platforms that you guys are on as well. Thank you, guys. God bless. Thanks for listening to my podcast, Swing Trading the Stock Market. I'd like to encourage you to join me in the SharePointer Trading Block, where I navigate the stock market each day with traders from around the world. With your membership, you will get a seven-day trial and access to my trading room, including alerts via text, email, and WhatsApp. So go ahead. Sign up by going to shareplanner.com slash trading block. That's www.shareplanner.com slash trading block. And follow me on SharePlanner's Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, where I provide unique market and trading information every day. If you have any questions, please feel free to email me at brian at shareplanner.com. All the best to you, and I look forward to trading with you soon.